All right, family, let's come back together. I'm going to do a few announcements. Love to start by just praying over that basket that's walking out. Father, we thank you for speaking into our hearts the exciting partnership of trusting you for resources to multiply your gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would actually take our little loaves and fishes and multiply them for masses, that you would take what we are able to extravagantly and generously give and turn it into so much more glory for your name in the earth. God, would you lead each of us on an intimate adventure? There were so many crazy stories last year of you providing. We ask again this year for adventures of faith in our finance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So good to be back together, uh, family, here at Colonial. We're following a cloud. The Lord has provided this partnership with Colonial Presbyterian in this season, which is exciting. Uh, some of us uh, were away at the International 24-7 gathering, so we missed the last time we were uh, gathered together. Just want to report to you that that time in Ireland was more than just beautiful, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful in what the Holy Spirit did. Uh, over a thousand people gathered from some 40 nations, and I've never been more convinced at the global hunger for prayer and the presence of God. I believe 24-7 Prayer Internationally is uniquely and sort of humbly um, positioned to serve the prayer movement globally. We find ourselves serving literally every stream and expression of the body of Christ around the world. With the release of the prayer course, 600,000 people have already downloaded and watched that. How to Pray, I think in the first month sold 20,000 copies. There's a hunger for prayer and people want to know how do we pray. Uh, leaders together from large churches and small churches were together saying we need God like never before and we want to learn to pray. God poured out the power of his presence on that gathering in such dramatic ways. I got a little overexcited at one point um, with good reason because we, we heard from a Austrian mystic Catholic who preached on the Song of Solomon at a conference, believe it or not, and it was one of the most powerful. I was bawling my eyes out. Yes, that much revelation. He started with 15 minutes of quoting the church fathers off by heart on the Song of Solomon, the weight and authority of God about him preparing his bride for the end and the bride growing in authority through suffering. And then we called up those to release the song out of 24-7. There's 150 up there, and Jesse Roberts and, and uh, Cutter went up there, and Heather, and they filled the stage. And then they said, for all those called to preach, stand on your chairs and preach your best message to the worshipers. And this song erupted, this song called Come On, you know, and I got kind of excited. And I saw that vision Pete had years ago on the cliffside of Portugal. He saw the army rising out of the atlas. And I went up and whispered in Pete's ear, and I was like, I think it's actually happening, man. And he's like, go prophesy. So I got 150 worshipers. I got 200 people on their chairs, 1,000 people in this old 700-year-old Presbyterian building. And I get up there and I say, the army is rising now. And we began to call the army out of the atlas around the world. And 
Something is going on, you guys. It's, it's just phenomenal. So thank you for praying. Thank you. It's so exciting to be a part of a global movement of prayer, mission, and justice and church planting around the world. It's good to be back. A few announcements. Um, Welcome, if you're visiting with us, uh, good job finding us. We're following a cloud, so we're not the easiest lot to find these days. Um, but we do feel, uh, hope that you feel welcome. There is a welcome table out there. In the end, there's someone who would love to talk with you. Um, we gather all together on the first and third Sundays, uh, uh, although I'm about to change that up, sorry. Um, and uh, we meet in homes and, and church in the home and the other times. And we'd love to get you connected to that if you're not already. Our vision is that Jesus's glory would fill this city completely. Oh, man, I'm so excited. So is Adam Shirelli. Praise God. I can always count on that guy. Okay. Um, we've already talked a lot about giving. Um, thank you for all the generosity. You can always give the usual ways. There's a box. There's the website. Julie will do more on that later today. Um, I want to make some special announcements about our gatherings. Um, we have had a predictable pattern, which is the first and third Sundays all together, uh, the second and fourth in homes, and the fifth has usually been different. But we have, um, because we're following a cloud, we are flexible not only to where we meet, but when we meet. And in one of the unique things in uh, going, God said, don't look for buildings, look for partnerships with the church. So when we came to Colonial, we were shocked. At first, they said, we would love you to have our 9 a.m. Sunday morning gathering. We were like, okay, that's all right. That's probably going to cramp your style. And they're like, okay, well, yeah, it might. But, um, and, and, but then they said, would you gather with us on a Sunday morning? And so their best Sunday to do that, we wanted to accommodate not our best Sunday to do that. And that's a part of being a servant to the church, right? And so they said the best time for us to gather with you together would be November 24th. Would you mark this in your calendar? So on the 10th and the 17th, those are going to be home Sundays, the church in the home. So normally that would be 2nd and 4th, but now it is 10th and 17th. So gather in a home with your community on those Sundays. So the next two Sundays coming up, those will be in homes. We're going through the commands of Jesus together and we're rooting in who Christ is. But on the 24th, can everyone mark this in your calendar right now? Take out your phone, mark this in your calendar, 10.45 a.m. It would be absolutely awful if we had a joint gathering of the church and our church did not come to it. Like, I don't know how to tell you how terrible that would be on every level. The first level would be just utter embarrassment. The second level would be that we wouldn't have a mutual exchange of learning from one another and imparting in prayer between the churches. And so we want to show up in mass with faith and we want to bless the socks off of Colonial and let them bless us as well. That Sunday is incredible. We're running the entire kids for that Sunday morning. So that's awesome. But they are doing almost all of the worship, and then I think we're sharing somehow. Um, they really wanted to hear our Follow the Cloud story and have their whole church hear that story. So we'll be shaping that. But will you mark that and come? Can everybody please make that a priority to come out on that Sunday? That would be amazing. This is where you say, yes, Adam. Yes, we're in. We're so in, we can't even handle it. Okay. Um, and then December 1st, we're back here 4 p.m. Um, at our usual deal. Now, we don't know yet for the 15th. Um, Colonial said, stay as long as you want, but we're just not quite sure, so we're praying, 
Okay? So will you pray with us? We are literally, this is a real thing. We are trusting God to speak every step of the way. It's what we all have to model in our individual lives, and God's giving us a beautiful example of it in our lives together. Okay, we've got LTS coming up. Um, LTS is incredible. It's the Life Transformation School. Um, That is coming from January 14th to February the 1st. If you have not done the LTS, I would highly recommend it. It's kind of the starting place. It is a baptism into the love of the Father, the beautiful faith of the Son, the experiential friendship of the Holy Spirit. We root in identity. We encounter God. We get two-hour ministry sessions for freedom. Um, It is an incredible process, and this is our three-week school in January. Um, You can pray because we don't yet know where that will be, but it will be somewhere, and and we will have it. It's so wonderful. God's going to provide. So um, LTS is happening. So if you're new to Nava, uh, can you start there? Would you sign up? You can sign up on our website, on the app, all the usual places. If you've went through LTS years ago and you just want a refresher of encountering God in January, I would again encourage you to go through that. LTS, love it. So thankful for it. Um, We did a huge Nava Kids 2020 uh, announcement on the October 20th uh, gathering. If you were not here on October 20th, would you please raise your hand? We have something very important for you to give you. If you were not here October 20th, raise your hand, keep it really high, and we're going to get something passed out to you. October 20th, if you weren't here, keep your hand up. We're going to get you documents. Graham and his newly replaced hip, he's running around as fast as possible. I mean, praise God. Okay. Sorry, Graham. It's probably too much information. You have a document coming to you, but I'm going to give you a little, um, little bit of information about what we're doing in Nava Kids in 2020. Here's the deal. And I know you're getting documents and looking at them, but try to listen to me as well. So we have realized since following the cloud and only doing two gatherings a month, and for very many other reasons, that it has been a lot more difficult to have kids servers. We also have seen the beauty and power of what God is doing amongst our kids. And for both of those reasons, we just needed a total reboot on kids' servers. And the way we thought, one of the problems we had is a lot, a few people were doing a lot and burning themselves out. So we decided, why not all pitch in and do it together? This would be the best way because we all want to spend time with our kids. So you've got a piece of paper, um, and I want you to get a pen in the back of one of the pews, um, and you can actually fill that out on the spot. Um, if you will. That would be awesome. A lot of filling out today. We only gather twice a month, so there's stuff to do. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're parents of kids and sign your kids in, you will have to serve three times in the year. We're inviting you to do that. Only three times if everybody does it. Three times in the year. If you're a single parent, just two times. Again, between parents three times. So that could be one of the parents doing twice and the other one doing once. If you've got that weird arrangement in your marriage and you make one spouse do all three times, all power to you. Work that out in your own household. However you want to do that, do it. Um, But it would be three times for uh, parents, two times for single parents. And then we need about 50 non-parents because we don't want our kids just with parents. We want our whole family to engage with the kids. And so you would be welcome to sign up as well. So we just want to all do it together. So 
If you can take a minute and fill out those cards, there is one, only one, 45-minute training. That's not a lot for serving in kids. And that means in all of 2020, you'll be equipped and ready to serve our kids. That would be fantastic. Where do you hand that in? If you can hand it in at the Welcome Center at the end of the gathering, it would be so wonderful. Rachel Edwards will do cartwheels for you. Okay. Maybe. I think that's it. Except um, we are going to do baptism soon. If anyone wants to get baptized um, and has not been baptized, you can see Graham at the end of the gathering. Graham's right there. Turn around, everyone. Graham. There he is. All right. Cool. With no further ado, I'm going to welcome up my brilliant and wonderful wife, Julie. Let's give her a round of applause. I want to pray for you. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for um, all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the radical call to follow Jesus, and I thank you for um, the calling you've placed on Julie to walk with a mighty voice, with great gentleness, with grace and truth. Give us ears to hear what you're saying uh, this afternoon. We want to follow you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, do you think you guys can see me if I come down here? Yep. Is that all right? Yeah. Oh, now I can see you. It's so blinding white up there with the light. So I like seeing you guys better. You're all beautiful. Wow, thank you for having me share today. I'm really privileged to do this. I just want to give one quick shout out to um, the Springboks. South Africa won the World Rugby Championship yesterday. It's a big deal, guys. And the Chiefs won today. I'm really happy for the Chiefs, too. But, guys, we won the World Rugby World Cup yesterday. South Africa, awesome. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in South Africa for right now. If you guys could be praying for South Africa, we really need your prayers. Um, there's a lot going on there, but it's a big deal that we won. And Tubby Singh isn't here, but she's my little South African buddy. And so I hope you guys let her watch the rugby yesterday. Did you watch the rugby? You did? Yes, good job. All right. Um, today, uh, I have the immense privilege of talking about giving today. And just appropriate that it landed on our Faith Fund Sunday because we're so generous, such <laughs> a generous people. Um, and I really want to put this in the framework of us looking at Jesus today. My desire is that when we leave here, we don't feel any pressure to give more, but that we feel overwhelmed with the beauty of Jesus, who gave everything for us. And if you leave today going, wow, Jesus, then my work here is done, <laughs> right? So we want, that's what I wanna just put in our head first and foremost, he is the foundation, motivation, and incarnation of our giving. Everything is about him. Uh, Adam mentioned that we're going through the commands of Jesus in our home Sundays. And um, have many of you seen this little picture? Remember this little picture? This is our house picture. If we are 
on the foundation of Jesus. So what I just said, he is our motivation to be doing all of those things. The incarnation, he actually shows us. He is our great example for each of these commands. And we are in Trinity identity. There is the, at the top, um, communing in prayer with our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then these would be the natural outflows of our life, right? They're not like the Old Testament where it's an external command, a set of rules that we have to follow. But if we are found in Jesus, baptized in the identity of the Trinity, then the natural outflow of our life is to act like Jesus, and that would be doing these things. So um, I was going to call up somebody to try and do all the hand signals. Anyone feel good about that? But we're kind of running late on time, so I'll just... uh, I'm just going to go down. So next week, okay, so we've done repent and believe, be baptized in water, and my kid's favorite sign, right? Do you guys all do the, and the Holy Spirit? So fun, isn't it? Okay, then we obey the word, we pray, we make disciples, and we have the little click on our watch because it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time for us to become like Jesus. Um, Love in the very center of all of it. We persevere through worship. We break bread together in our homes and with our church family remembering Jesus. And now we get to, we give from the heart. And the sign for this is actually to not take it from your back pocket, but to take it from your heart and to give from your heart, right? This is our motivation, the heart. And then we gather with leaders. And so for the next two weeks, you guys are going to be doing in the homes, give from the heart and gather with believers under leaders. And so as we start this message on giving, I want to just establish a couple of things right off the bat. One, I'm speaking to a generous people right here. Nava is not in financial trouble. That's not why we're talking about money. All right? I'm sure many of you have been in churches where the only time they ever talk about money is when there's a problem with the money, right? We have actually been convicted as a leadership team that we don't talk enough about money. We don't talk enough about giving. It's a big part of our lives, and why shouldn't we learn about what Jesus has to say about money and what the Bible has to say about money? So I'm standing here on behalf of the core team repenting. We're sorry. We haven't talked about this more. It's a big part of our life with Jesus is our money and our generosity. So forgive us. You're going to hear about us talk about money more. Is that okay with everyone? We're going to talk about it more. We're also going to talk about our wealth and our giving. This isn't just about money, right? So today, you can all take a deep breath. We're not going to take up another offering at the end. Okay? not asking you for your money today. I'm talking about the heart of generosity. When we follow Jesus and we see him and see all that he's done for us, our response is to be generous with everything. All right? You guys are generous. I'm not making you more generous today. You are generous. We're just talking about generous Jesus today. I want to talk about this concept of grace and law. In the New Testament, 
actually in a lot of the Old Testament too, most of the teachings about money has this key word in it, which is grace. All of our generosity has to be motivated by grace, not by the law. Again, it's an internal motivation, not an external law that we have to follow. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1:17. Our example is Jesus. Grace and truth. Grace abounds. The word charis is actually the word for grace in the Bible. It means the gift or generosity. And so a lot of times when you're reading in your English Bible, you're going to be reading um, this, the word's going to be give or generous or grace. It's translated as all three of those things, this one word. But we find in almost all the chapters that are all about your wealth and your possessions, this word is repeated multiple, multiple, multiple times. The word grace. Grace fills our giving. Not law. We're not doing it because we have to. We're doing it because we're motivated by the spirit of grace. 2 Corinthians 3.3 says, You show that you are a letter from God, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We don't have a set of commandments like we did in the Old Testament. We have the Spirit of God moving in our hearts and actually moving us to be like Him in every way, including His generosity. His Spirit comes, fills us, replaces our heart. That's what Ezekiel 36 says. It actually, he actually says, I take out your heart. I put my heart in you. And then he says, and I put the spirit of grace inside of you to move you to obey. Is that not the most beautiful description of the Holy Spirit? He comes and fills us with his grace, and then he moves us to obey. Like, isn't this the best news? It's not a set of laws we have to do. We just have to be fully surrendered to the Spirit, and then we'll obey. Isn't that great? We are fully surrendered, and He moves us to obedience. What a beautiful picture of the grace of Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 25. I actually want to read that because this is the basis of this whole message, really. We are encaptured, just enthralled with this beautiful spirit. And this is beautiful. This is actually in the Old Testament. This is God promising a new covenant for us. Isn't that beautiful? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So beautiful. Uh, one other thing I just quickly want to establish is that money is not evil. Yeah? I think as the church, we so often make money this evil thing. Yeah? Isn't that true? It's like, oh no, money. We shouldn't talk about money. We shouldn't have money. Like, 
it's bad if you have money. And unfortunately, a lot of our people that have wealth in our communities feel ashamed of it. And that's not right. It's not evil. Money is not evil. Actually, in Revelations 5.12, it says that Jesus is worthy of all wealth. Wealth is actually one of the seven things that is given to Jesus to show his worthiness. Isn't that beautiful? Can you put it, put it on the next slide? In a loud voice, they were saying, so this is everybody around the throne talking about Jesus. They cannot find someone worthy. They find Jesus. They open the scroll. They say, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth. Other translations say riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. All of those things are beautiful blessings. And they're ascribed as worship to Jesus. Now we know that some of those things like strength or power, wealth, even glory can be used in a wrong way to bring damage to people, right? We know that they can be used in a wrong way, but the reality is is that their essence, they are beautiful blessings that God gives to us and then that we get to actually ascribe to Jesus. What a beautiful picture of Revelation when all of our wealth, all of our possession, all of who we are is given to Jesus because of his worthiness. So stunning. Most of what I'm going to talk about today is one type of wealth, but the Bible talks a lot about two different types of wealth. So I just want to quickly talk about those. The first is financial or material wealth. And it's very clear, the Bible is very clear that this is temporary wealth and it won't last. There's a lot of stuff here, you know. You can not take any money with you to heaven, although some of us might try. Uh, There's nothing you can take from the material wealth with you to eternal life. Eternal wealth is more important in the Bible. It is put as more important than material wealth. And we are actually encouraged to store up this eternal wealth now while we're here in the material world. Isn't that beautiful? But that doesn't mean that material wealth is not important. It's just not the most important. All right? So material wealth is important. And obviously what we do with our material wealth will have a lot to do with our eternal wealth. And I say that again? What we do with our material wealth has a lot to do with how much we gain in eternal wealth. So even though eternal wealth is more important, material wealth can actually build eternal wealth if we use it correctly. So most of what I'm going to talk about now from this point on is material wealth. But I want us to just remember that material wealth is used in such a way to build eternal wealth. And eternal wealth is actually what we want to build up. Is that okay? Eternal wealth. Okay. So this week I've done a lot of reading. Um, I've done a lot of reading a lot of books, listening to different sermons, a whole bunch of things. But most of the reading I've done is from this beautiful book because it has a lot to say about wealth and money and possessions. There are actually 2,300 verses on money, 
wealth, and possession. It's a lot, right? Jesus spoke about money roughly 15% in roughly 15% of his teachings and 40% of his parables. He talked about it a lot. So again, we're gonna talk about it more. Now, I am not gonna read all 2,300 verses to you today. Thank you, right? Thanks. I'm not gonna do that, but what I do quickly wanna do is give you a summary about what the Old Testament says about wealth, what Jesus says about wealth, and then what we learn from the early church about wealth and possessions. So I'm gonna do you a quick summary of the 2,300 verses so that you don't have to read them, but actually, you should go read them. You should go read them after this. Okay, so let's start with what the Old Testament says about wealth and giving. And I've summarized these into four main points. Proper use of our possessions has been an important part of a right relationship with God since the beginning. Our righteousness is made visible through the generous and fair administration of our wealth. Our righteousness is made visible through the fair and honest administration of our wealth. For many biblical characters, faith played a major role in their governing. We see the capacity of wealth to do much good and much harm. If you uh, go and look at a lot of the different biblical characters, we see how they deal with their wealth has a lot to do with their, the posture of their heart, the attitude of their heart, and their relationship towards God. And we, can, we see when they actually submit their finances and their wealth to the Lord, then they do a lot of good. And when they don't, then there's a lot of evil that happens out of their lives. In the context of the law to Moses and the Israelites, God delivered explicit commandments regarding wealth and giving. This is most famously seen as the tithe, and I'm gonna talk about that in a, a little bit later. But this actually encompasses three different tithes. So you thought there was just one tithe in the Old Testament, didn't you? How many people thought there was only one tithe? There are three different tithes in the laws given to Moses and the Israelites. And several other commandments that are directly related to wealth and possession. So I'm gonna talk about that just in a little bit, but basically if you go and look at how much God ordered them, like commanded them to give, many scholars believe it was up to 50% of their wealth and possessions that they were giving. There's a lot that they were asked to be generous with, and those were laws. You had to do this, you had to do this. It was a lot of money or just things, whatever they, they got. God clearly considers enacting justice for the poor a key responsibility of those blessed with wealth. We see this throughout the Old Testament, the Lord asking those with wealth to take care of the most vulnerable amongst them. So what we learn from the Old Testament in summary is that we learn that there is an appropriate relationship between ourselves, our wealth, and God. How we respond to our wealth and how we respond to God with our wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 sums this whole part of the Bible up beautifully. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. If we remember him, 
then we remember where not only our wealth comes from, but even how we get our wealth comes from. So beautiful. Okay, let's look at what Jesus taught about wealth and giving. Now, I'm, before I say this, Jesus talked a lot. Like we already said, he talked a lot about it. He talks about 14% in about 14% of all of his teaching and then 40% of his parables. So there's a lot. And I would really encourage you, if you're not going to take all 2,300 verses, go study the words of Jesus around money and your possessions and your wealth because it will challenge you to the core. It is so challenging to hear what he has to say about it. It's so beautiful. But again, I just summarized it for you in a couple of things here. So um, the Sermon on the Mount highlights God's love for the poor, good stewardship of resources, and the natural tendency of the rich to become overly reliant on their wealth. The rich young ruler and the parable of the rich fool shows us the danger of idolizing and accumulating wealth. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus teaches us that it is a sin to ignore the poor and that we are asked to show regard for them and to meet their needs if able. You can go to the next one, okay. The command to store up treasures in heaven gives us an eternal perspective on our wealth and reminds us that earthly riches are fleeting. Jesus' ministry was funded by some of those who heard and followed him. And he taught the disciples to rely on others while ministering. Finally, the final judgment near the end of Jesus' ministry comes full back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus identifies with the poor and marginalized so closely that we, he states that we are serving him when we serve them. So beautiful, the words of Jesus. Jesus is probably the most direct out of all of the scriptures about how we handle our wealth and our possessions and probably the most challenging and hardest to follow. Let's look at the, what the apostles taught in the New Testament. Now, not surprisingly, the apostles' teaching is very close to Jesus' teaching, right? Because they were discipled by Jesus. And so um, the apostles are very close to that, but they also add something specifically to the early church and giving amongst the early church because obviously Jesus wasn't there when the early church started. So they are listening to the Holy Spirit and teaching about how to give in the, in the early church. So here's just a few from the highlights of this. Honestly, there's so much on this. And for this one, I did go ahead and put some scripture references next to them just so you can see I'm not making this up, all right? The writer of Hebrews and Paul reaffirms Jesus' teaching to keep your life free from the love of money and to be content and generous with what you have. We are to work hard, provide for our families, and manage our wealth with honesty and integrity. Because there is so much in the Bible about us not just giving what belongs to God, but actually having a lot of integrity and honesty with our money. So if you battle in the area of budgeting or finance or taking care of your bills and paying your taxes, then please get help. Because it's so important what we do with our money. It shows where our heart is. And so please get help for that. And if you don't know somebody who can help you, come and ask us. We can help you. 
yeah, or put you in touch with someone who can help you. It's so important that we take care and we're honest and have integrity about how we use our finances. Um, the last thing on that one is also really important. We are to enjoy our wealth and resources while not allowing them to have a hold of our hearts. Jesus is not a killjoy, right? He's not asking us all to live in poverty. In fact, he actually wants us to have everybody out of poverty so we can all enjoy life together and enjoy him together. And if we submit ourselves to father care instead of self-care, he is going to ask you to use some of your money to go take a vacation or to spend time with your children or to go do something fun. Yeah? That is also part of us taking care of our money and taking care of what the Lord is doing because he is gonna ask you to have a fun time sometimes with your money. Are you okay with that? He's gonna ask you to enjoy it because when we enjoy each other, we enjoy him too. So we invite him into that enjoyment. And you know, some of my best vacations growing up and even now with our family is when God provided for the vacation. Yeah? Because all of a sudden you're like, oh God, you want me to do this, you're in this. But even if you have the money to take a vacation, why don't you ask him about where you should go or what you should do or how much money you should spend on your vacation? I think you're going to be surprised at how much he says. It's probably going to be more than you think. Yeah? Because he wants to enjoy us and he provides wealth and possessions for us to, be, to have enjoyment and for him to enjoy us. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Giving should be from faith and grace and not under compulsion. We should be generous and God honors sacrificial giving. There are many times in the Bible that the Lord doesn't command sacrificial giving. He honors sacrificial giving. He, he commands us to be generous, to give, but he actually honors it when we give sacrificially. We should give cheerfully joyfully. Giving should support our spiritual leaders and local church body. Many, if not all of the New Testament writers state that our giving must support the poor, the marginalized, and needy in our communities. So very close again to Jesus' teaching, but maybe a little more specific towards the church. So all of you should have a little piece of paper like this that was handed out. Does everyone have this little piece of paper? If you need more, you can raise your hand and get some. So you guys have probably heard about this before because when we do talk about money, it's usually with a report about our finances and we talk about these. Um, these are kind of like our financial giving values at NAVA. And so I wanted to give everyone one of these to leave with because it's helpful to remember, and not all of you taking notes, right? So it's helpful to remember that these are the things that we're, the values that we give with here at NAVA and can be helpful for you too. So I'm gonna start with the first one. Um, well, let me read them, NAVA giving values. Worship, all I own does not own me. Stewardship, all that I own is not my own. Faithfulness, I will consistently give a portion of what I own to the establishment of God's kingdom through the church. 
joyful generosity. I will be joyfully sacrificial and extravagant in my giving as the Holy Spirit leads me. So we're going to start with worship real quick. I'm just going to go through each of these and just touch on a couple of things around them. And I know we're running a little shorter on time, so I'm going to just condense some of it. But maybe we'll talk about this more sometime, give you a little more on it. Um, Let's start on worship. All I own does not own me. Um, I am going to just kind of skip a whole part of this, and I'm going to brag on my husband. He gave an incredible message. Adam gave an incredible message in September around the rich young ruler. It was about what had our hearts. This is really what this whole part is about. What is our worship? Who has our heart? If you go back um, to his message in September and listen to that, it's about idols. It is incredible. But really in it, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments with this, this rich young ruler. He takes the Ten Commandments and he flips them on, these, on the head and he basically says the first part of those commandments is really about who's first in your life. And so when we think about this value of worship, we need to think about who is first. Who gets first of everything of who I am? And that's what worship is. It's giving the first place to Jesus in your life over and over and over again. That is really what this worship is about. Because everything pales in comparison when we see Jesus, right? All of our idols pale in comparison. When you see the real thing next to a fake thing, there's something about that that you're like, oh yeah, that's fake and that's real. And so when we put money or the God of money, which is also called mammon in the Bible, and here let me say, again, money is not evil, but the spiritual force that can come with money, it's actually a spiritual stronghold, that is an evil force that controls and enslaves people with money. And so if you feel like you are controlled or enslaved by money, then we need to pray for you at the end of this time, right? Because that is a spiritual force of this age called money, mammon, which actually enslaves people and controls them in this area of possession and money. So please, like, there's freedom for you there, Right? There is freedom if you feel controlled or enslaved by money. Jesus talks about where our treasure is. Could you skip to the next slide? Uh, Yeah, Jesus talks about where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is in Matthew 6, 21 and 24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. These are Jesus' words. He's very direct. The interesting thing is the verse in between there, 23, feels totally out of place when you read this part of of Jesus' teaching because all of a sudden he starts talking about the light in your eyes and the light is the lamp to your heart. And you're like, why is that in between these two things about money? Well, because that's like your litmus test. What are you looking at? What's filling your vision? What's before you all the time? Is it the face of Jesus? Or is it your spreadsheets and your budgets and your bank account balance? What is filling your eye? What has captured your vision? So that is how you can tell, like, is mammon enslaving me? And I'll tell you one thing. We live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. This is the easiest trap to fall into, right? What enslaves you or controls you? 
So we want to make sure that we get prayer and we get help if you feel controlled or enslaved by money. God really doesn't want our money. He doesn't, because all the wealth of the world belongs to him. He tells us that. But do you know what he does want? He wants us. He wants our heart. And money sometimes has us instead of God. And so really, worship is just about us saying, have all of me, and you can have my money too. Right? That's what worship is. Let's go to stewardship. Just gonna skip some, let you see, okay. All that I own is not my own. An appropriate understanding of wealth begins with the recognition that everything we have actually belongs to God. All that I own is not my own. If we actually are stewarding someone's money, then you're going to hold account for it way better, aren't you? Like if someone came to me today and said, I'm going to give you $100,000 next year, and I'm going to give you another $100,000 the year after, if I come back at the end of next year and everything's accounted for, like you've kept good budgets, you've stewarded the money well, you can tell me where it's gone, you can tell me how you've sowed it, you can tell me how you've given it, well then in that case, I'll give you another 100000 the next year. Can I tell you that my budgeting is going to go way better? Yeah? I'm going to be so much better at keeping account of everything and making sure I'm not wasteful. Yeah? The reality is, is that is what we're like. All of our money belongs to God. And he says, if we can be faithful with what he gives us, he will give us more. Yeah? So if we can be faithful with what he's given us, take good care of it, manage it well, be responsible for it, he will give us more. That is the principle of the universe. And it isn't always more financial money. It is sometimes more eternal wealth. Yeah? A lot of the time it is financial. A lot of the time if you have found a good steward of your money, you will have more money. But sometimes he might ask you to give all of your paycheck away. Are you going to have more money? No. But if you're obedient to the voice of God, you stir up eternal rewards. And you actually become more wealthy. And so this thing of stewardship, stewardship is the active and responsible management of God's creation for God's purposes. It's not just about being a good accountant or having a good accountant. It's actually about stewarding and managing God's creation for God's purposes and God's glory. Let's um, go down to the next slide. Luke 16, 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? It's the words of Jesus. It's very challenging, isn't it? But the reality is, if you live in light of the fact that none of it's yours, 
then you manage it a lot better, yeah? I wanna um, just talk here for just a second about wealth and the United States of America. I am now talking as an American, I have an American citizenship, so I am including myself in this conversation. We are in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. And right now, when you walked in the doors earlier, you probably did not think you were wealthy. But you are some of the richest, you are in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. So that's pretty shocking, isn't it? Because I wouldn't call myself wealthy, necessarily, but in comparison to most of the people in the world, I am very, 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 very wealthy. Um, small changes in our giving can have huge differences and make huge differences in the lives of others. Very small changes. Let's just take, for example, this last week was Halloween. Yeah? You can go to the next slide for me, thanks. The USA spent $9 billion this year on Halloween. $9 billion on one day. And I'm not even going to talk about Christmas. Yeah? Or Black Friday. This is just Halloween. This is like a little holiday. $9 billion on one day. We could feed 280 million hungry people for a year with that money. So now let's make it practical. So you're like, yeah, but that's if everybody stops Halloween and actually gives that money. The average American spends $80 on Halloween. And you're all going, I didn't really spend $80. But you know what? I didn't spend a lot on Halloween, and I added it up, and it was still like $40 between costumes and candy and all of that stuff, yeah? We spend money. We spend money on having fun. That's okay. But if we just matched our $80, we could feed, clothe, buy school supplies, and give vaccines to a hungry child for a month, and not just one, but two kids. So if we just gave out, like $34 a month can do that, can feed, clothe, give, you know, give school supplies and needed vaccines to a kid for a whole month. That's crazy, guys. That's just a little bit of money. That's not very much. That's like me either buying lace candy, which I don't really like American candy anyway, so it's okay, but it's all right. It's just me buying lace and giving, or it's me just matching what I'm giving. That's not a lot. This year, this year actually in 2017, $200 billion was spent on fast food in the USA. $200 billion, 2017. World hunger could stop for six years on that amount. If we just matched our fast food purchases and gave it towards the world hunger crisis, we can solve it for six years. If just the believers, those that profess Jesus, in the USA, not in the world, gave the money they spent on fast food in a year for the next 15 years, so for 15 years you gave that amount, 
we could come close to eradicating the world hunger crisis. So whenever you hear them talk about, is the end of the world hunger crisis possible? Yes, it is possible. It's possible if the people of God just gave a little bit extra. <laughs> I'm not talking about a lot, I'm talking about luxuries, fast food, Halloween candy. That's luxuries for us guys, and that's like actually essential. We could eradicate the world food crisis. Again, grace, 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 right? This is supposed to inspire you. It's not supposed to make you feel guilty, yeah? But I just want us to be real about our waste, how much we waste, and how much just a little bit of what we give can make a huge difference in other people's lives. Let's jump to faithfulness real quick. I will consistently give a portion of what I own to the establishment of God's kingdom through the church. Why give to the church? Why not just give to anybody, anywhere, or any organization? Well, the church is God's plan. It's his number one plan. That's why. Really, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, that's it. We give because that's God's plan, to reveal his glory. And you want your heart to be invested and connected to your local family. Where you give, you are connected. Because where our heart is, that's where our treasure goes. Yeah? And so that is also inverted. Where our treasure is, then our heart also goes there. You're actually invested in a body of people and in a community when you give to that community. And the New Testament speaks in multiple places that your leaders need to be taken care of. Again, we're not in a crisis. We're all taken care of. We're good. So this is not me asking for more money. Yeah? Everyone good with that? This is actually the New Testament speaking about the fact that you need to take care of your spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy 5.7 says, The pastors, or some translations, elders, who led the church well should be paid, honored, or remunerated well. They should receive double honor for faithfully preaching and teaching the revelation of the word of God. And there's actually multiple, like a lot of scriptures that talk about this thing specifically. Because if your leaders are taken care of, it doesn't just mean that they have a place to live, yeah, or food to eat. It actually means they are released in capacity and time to equip the church and to further the kingdom of God and his purposes in a city, right? And that is part of why we give, is to see God's glory put on display. And people need to actually put their hand to that and do something about it, yeah? And all of us do, we all do, but there are some people that the Lord calls very specifically to do that. I remember the day I had a green, uh, I didn't have a green card yet. I was a legal alien in this country, and I was not allowed to work. And so at, we were serving here in this community, and Adam was working at a coffee shop, and that's the tips that he got off the coffee shop was what we lived off of, plus us, you know, renting out our house. And the church family here at that time could only give us $500 a month. But I want to say this because God took care of us, and God has taken care of us. It's his responsibility ultimately to take care of us, right? And that's how we live. That's how all of us live here. Jesus takes care of us. And I don't know how we lived on $800 a month, but we did, yeah? And we lived well on that amount because God took care of all of the rest every month, yeah? Okay, but 
It does say in the New Testament in multiple places that we give to the local church so that the local leaders can be taken care of. Are we okay with that? All right. Wow, time. Okay. I want to say just something really, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but just want to say something really quickly about like the scattered and gathered model that Nava uses, and that can feel confusing because you could be like, okay, so I have to look after my home church leaders, and I have to look after the Nava church leaders, and how does that work, and how do I split my money, and all of that. So we don't want that to be confusing. Right now, with the model that we have, the whole of Nava is cared for and pastored by the central. All of the leaders are coached and shepherded and equipped from the central. All right, that doesn't undermine the fact that they're working and, and serving you. So show up early to the church that meets in your home, in the home. Help them sit up. Stay late. This is more important. Stay 10 minutes later and help clean up. Yeah, this is how you take care of them. This is how you serve. Buy them a Christmas gift. Ask how you can help pay towards the, you know, the whatever it is, like the extra water that gets used in the house when everybody gathers there, right? There's expenses to hosting in your home, yeah? So you can say, how can I help take care of that? How can I help be part of this? This is all stuff that we can do. And for right now, you can give them money. That's great if you want to do that. But just know that you're not getting a tax refund for that. And if you give over a certain amount of money, then you have to put that on your taxes, and then it gets all complicated, and they have to put it on their taxes, and it gets all complicated. And so right now, NAVA holds all of those central things and the tax deductible and all of this stuff. And so you give to NAVA in good faith that we have good stewardship and we are taking care of everybody. Is that okay? And we do have good stewardship. We have a stewardship board that looks over all of our finances once a month. We have an oversight team that comes in once a year, looks over all of it. We are submitted in our finances. We don't set our own salaries. A stewardship board does that. There's a lot of financial stewardship and accountability that NAVA has. And if you want more information with that, we're happy to share it. Okay? Okay, let's talk about tithing for just a minute. There's a lot of debate between the Old and New Testament about what they say about giving and how much you should give and all this. So I just want to tell you what they both say. Old Testament says this, actually, you see tithing in Abraham and Jacob's life before the law was even given. That was like a free will tithe that they gave. But then you see God giving Moses a bunch of laws for the people to follow. And those are three different tithes. The Levitical tithe in Numbers 18 and Deuteronomy 33, this is 10% given to support the livelihood of the Levites and priests and used for sacrifices and the maintenance of the tabernacle or temple. It was the Levites and priests' work to further God's requirements and instructions and the ministry of compassion and judging. Then there was a festival tithe. Guys, this is so awesome. He actually says, put 10% aside of whatever you have regularly and diligently for parties. Really, that's what this tithe is all about. Have a party and make sure you have enough when you have the party. Enough food, enough to share. So these were three different festivals that the Israelites would have every year and it was supposed to be enough to cover 
all of their own needs to have a really good party and to cover the needs of anyone who didn't have enough to have a good party. Isn't this great? I think we should just have this tithe in our budgets. Party tithe. It's awesome. Party tithe. Okay, they didn't actually give that tithe to the church or to the, the priests and Levites. They kept that tithe, and they were, but they had to hold account for it. Did you party with the money? <laughs> then charity tithe. This is given every third and sixth year out of the seven-year cycle that they were asked. And I'm not going to go into all of that. They had a whole bunch of different seven years, 50 years. But this was used to support foreigners, orphans, widows, the poor, and to give a bonus to the Levites if they needed it. So this is another 10%, but it's only given every second and third year. So if you add all of that together, it is, and I just did the math for you, um, 22.9% just in tithes. 22.9%, 10%, 10%, and then 2.9% because if you work it out that way. So 22.9% every month or every year is what they gave. It's a lot of money. Okay, the New Testament has another part of that. It isn't actually a percentage. It's actually 100% if you want to go on a percentage. It's give it all. You know, let's surrendered. That's really how Jesus is. All of it. All of it's mine, right? So New Testament, um, we see that there are some practices and instructions given to the early church. They were generous with their homes and their tables. They took care of the needs of their spiritual leaders. They gave to the expansion and spread of the gospel through their local church and to the traveling apostles or missionaries. They took care of their families. They managed their wealth with honesty and integrity. They regularly gave gifts to fund the local church and for the care of the orphans and widows. They took care of the needs of believers in their local context and gave gifts to other churches in other cities. They cared for the most vulnerable in their society, the poor, the foreigner, the prisoner, and the outcast. And they were generous with the spirit and shared Jesus with everyone. Now, Jesus does talk about tithing a couple of times when he's talking to Jews. So tithing's still there in the New Testament. But we see actually by the practices of the early church that they didn't stick to a specific rule per se. They were just told to be generous with everything. And there is so much about this because really um, there are letters written about the early church. And they were actually told what was said about them, especially the church in Rome, is that they were promiscuous in their giving. Now that's a strong word, promiscuous. Right? It means they were loose. They just gave it all. Reports actually said about it that, um, that they said they gave everything when they gave. They gave it all. And so that is how the New Testament asks us to live. Not just 23%, but 100%. Everything. Everything submitted in surrender to Jesus. Right? So I don't really care if you want to follow the Old Testament way. 23% is great. Or if you want to follow the New Testament way. And we can get into a whole theological debate, and honestly, I read so many books about it and papers about it this week, I'm like, I don't know. But this is what I do know. Can you skip to... Oh, no, sorry. Um... 
this is what I know about giving, and this is what I know the Old Testament and Jesus and the New Testament all says about it. As long as you have fully surrendered your heart, you've made Jesus Lord over your wealth and resources, you often find yourself in prayer, inquiring about your heart and your giving, you are following the lead of the Holy Spirit in compassion and mercy, managing your money with integrity and honesty, giving consistently to your local church and living within your means so that you can be sacrificially generous to see God's glory put on display, then you're doing good. That's, that's a lot of things we got to be doing, right? And so I'm just going to remind you about the grace and the spirit that moves us to obey. Because we can really say that's impossible. I can't do all of those things. I can't. I was challenged so deeply preparing for this message. I'm like, I don't. I can't do this. How do you do this? But you do it because God's spirit moves in you and we see Jesus. And when Jesus asks us to give anything, we say yes. Right? Because we see Jesus and Jesus gave it all so that we could have it all. And how am I going to display Jesus to a world? I'm going to give it all so that they can have him because he is all in all, right? And so that is how we want to live, giving everything. Okay, there's one more value, and I'm going to say this in like one minute. We can be joyfully generous. I will be joyfully sacrificial and extravagant in my giving as the Holy Spirit leads me. I don't, have to, I don't think I have to say very much about this. This is like what Faith Fund is about. This is what we are about as believers. This is where we get to just give and shock people with the generosity of God. Because when we give like that, they go, oh my gosh, why are you giving to me like that? Why are you so generous? When it is in direct opposition to the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in is so stingy, right? So stingy. And yes, we can say America gives so much to this and that and that, but actually the heart of it is like I'm giving this and then I'm going to control how that's used or what's done with it. But as Christians, we just get to give freely because that's how God gave us. And we get to give joyfully. When fear isn't holding you back from giving, then joy is the fruit of your gift. We don't want to live in fear with our finances. We want to live in joy, cheerful generosity. I'm just gonna, we're just going to skip through to the last slide. Let's just. All right. I know we're out of time, but I'm just going to take a couple of minutes because I really believe that if we only hear the word and don't respond to the word, then we're not being obedient to Jesus. And so I want to take a minute for us to just sit with those values, sit with some of these questions, and ask the Lord, how are you challenging me in my giving, or how would you like me to grow in my giving? And don't come away with the whole list, just with one thing. Ask him, what one thing, what one place are you wanting me to grow in in my giving? Because, again, we're a generous people, I'm not talking to people who don't give here, but we want to be challenged with the example of Jesus. So I'm just going to take a minute just asking, Jesus, we want to live fully surrendered to you. 
if there's any place or any way you want us to grow or be challenged in our giving and generosity, would you speak to us now? We want to hear you and obey. If you heard something, grab your um, piece of paper with the values on it and write it on the back so you can remember what you heard. And then let's um, celebrate together because this is about being joyfully generous. And so the Faith Fund pledge that's come in today is one hundred what's that one hundred and eight thousand eight hundred and thirty eight dollars one hundred and eight thousand eight hundred and thirty eight dollars isn't that awesome guys we get to give this as the people we get to give it all this is so beautiful we get to give it all to Jesus what a joy let's um stand to the Lord's prayer and um just before we do that we are going to have some uh ministry team, people that can pray with you up front at the end. If you want prayer over any of these places, if fear is holding you in the place of finances, if you just need extra faith for your finances, if there's anything to do with your money or resources that you want prayer over or anything from the whole gathering, please come up and get some prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, can we have that? Yeah. Our Father who is in heaven. Your kingdom come.